CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. For the love of God, guys, sit down. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Young Daniel, Danny Pozieszelski, knows all about Facebook. and He's always telling me I have to do more Facebook stuff. I've got a lot of conflicting attitudes toward Facebook these days. That was not on the cheat sheet to talk about, but I think I may throw that at you. Uh, I'm writing that down, Facebook. The ads. Yes, the ads. And I don't know if you had an opportunity. Twitter's holier than thou. Oh, we aren't going to take any Facebook advertising. We'll give Donald Trump all the ads for free. Wow, that's an interesting, um, uh, that is an interesting interpretation how it went uh, down, Danny uh, Pogoshelsky. But today's New York Times has an open letter to Mark Zuckerberg by Aaron Sorkin. And Aaron Sorkin is the uh, great writer. uh, The West Wing. Yes. Yes, West Wing. One of the inspirations, Hal Jacob, and quite a few other of our friends, I would say, on the Democratic side. Got into politics. Yeah. Oh. I've I've heard people over and over again that would talk about that you know, their segue into politics as a little kid. It's like, oh my God, I, mm-hmm. West Wing. You know, I've had you've I've known you guys forever. You've been on every show I've had every month that I've had a show since the beginning. Since yeah. the beginning, <laughs> got fired, put it on hold, yeah. brought him back. Literally, I think he was on the first day of the show. Literally, yeah, that's first Kaplan. day. Jacob Kaplan, Jacob yeah. Kaplan yeah, with an remote. update. He yeah. called in a remote from uh, from <laughs> Alabama. Right? Is that oh, no Mississippi? No, 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 no. There was no, a no. different oh, time. You're getting them all confused. Yeah, you're getting all confused. <laughs> Way too uh, much marijuana as a young man. All right. It's gonna be legal. It's gonna be legal, bro. No need to. No need to shame me now. No, the first show I ever did. Uh, back in the day, had the following guests. It was a Monday, Monroe Anderson. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> Karen Jennings Lewis. That's correct. She's my absolute favorite. Everybody knows I love Karen. Uh, and a young Jacob. And That's correct. You, That's right. You called in with a report, as I remember, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, God, time has passed. The Democratic candidates for governor. Uh, had met before the slate makers of the Cook County Democratic Party and your executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. And you were our reporter on the scene, and you told me about how JB did, how Chris Kennedy did, uh, and you were the one. How your guy Bob Diber Bob did. Diber, man. Absolutely. That's like yes. the, wait, You know how to tug wait, my wait, heart wait, what about, what about John Marshall? Uh, the not three John Marshall. Was it? It's not John. John Marshall. Yeah, it's John Marshall. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the three state solution. Yeah, no, we yeah. had him on the show. We, yeah. we had him all on. Yeah. Uh, Are you gonna have him now that he's gonna be an independent? <laughs> oh, is he running? I did not know that. Supposedly. Supposedly uh, against, for governor. Uh, yeah. I mean, for, for senator. For senator. Oh my God, he's gonna split the vote with Willie Wilson. Willie Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who are the independents gonna go for? I got Willie. I got Marshall. I got to divide the state in three. All right. Um, but yeah, I I don't know if Marshall was at the slate making session. I know. I think he was. The big deal was Chris Kennedy, as I recall. He blasted us. Blasted us. This is the (laughs) son of Robert Kennedy, the nephew of John Fitzgerald. Yep. Wait, are you telling me that someone involved in politics took a hypocritical tack? Well, I don't know if it was hypocritical. Wait, wait, we need to go to the Sun-Times right now and let them know something that's never happened in the history of the world, hypocrisy in politics. Okay, the word hypocrisy was used by Dan. I did not say it was hypocritical. I was just saying a little inconsistent that he's the nephew. You sound like a politician. Well, yeah, I've been around him a long time. Uh, he's a little inconsistent. He may run for mayor. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with me Fraud running for risk mayor. just popped up on Jacob's phone, so I don't know yeah, how don't know what's worthy of what you're saying. What is that, by the way? I get those all the time. I don't like, answer them because it says fraud risk. Fraud risk. I have no idea what that means. I'm not going to answer uh, I get them Tim all. Tim Cook, the... can you tell us right now? Uh, Give yeah. us a white paper on this? But anyway, so I just thought it was a little. But on the other hand, I applauded Chris Kennedy. I'm not going to let this go without uh, passing. I'm not going to let this go without saying uh, Chris Kennedy. Kennedy made perhaps the greatest contribution in that primary, in my humble opinion, by calling out the city of Chicago, Mayor Rahm in particular, for their planning uh, decisions that resulted in so many people being moved out of the city because they couldn't afford the city. He was very specific. He said black people, but I also feel that uh, larger gentrification issues and that middle class people and poor people have been priced out of the city. So I give him credit for that. Okay, I couldn't understand why he would attack the Democratic Party that did so much for his family. Family, Jacob yes. Kaplan. Okay, yes. 
but I do give him credit for uh, taking that tough. Fair step. enough. Fair enough. Fair anyway, enough. so Jacob Kaplan's been coming on the show all this time, but I never knew how you guys got involved in politics. Let yeah. me ask you that. You were young Jacob Kaplan. You're growing up on the northwest side of Chicago. North side back then, Rogers Park. That I sit corrected. Yeah. Uh, and t- attending Stone Elementary. Yep. How you you remember that. <laughs> and later, Whitney Young High School, you were a Dolphin. Yes. You and Michelle Obama. That's right. So how'd you get involved in politics? Uh, well, I think part of my interest in politics did come from watching the West Wing as a kid, honestly. Um, but one of the first campaigns I uh, at, on a, that I volunteered on was Obama's 08 uh, presidential race. I just got inspired by him. I First time I ever knocked on doors was in Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, right on the like October of 2008, uh, right before the uh, general election, I, I was like, "Where can I help?" Went online. They're like, "Come to Iowa City because we need to win Iowa." Drove out there with a friend of mine, and we knocked on doors in, uh, in Iowa City for Obama. You was- were in Iowa City. Would yep. you remember when it was? Roughly what time? This of year? would have been October of 2008. Believe it or not, my oldest daughter would have been the one who gave you your in the office. She nice. worked in the office, and uh, my oldest daughter got inspired by Obama as well. Nice. Uh, now, have you ever had any regrets? Jimmy Dore, uh, who D- Dennis and I are fans of Jimmy Dore. He's of to the far left podcaster, uh, and was has been very critical of Obama uh, for being too much of a centrist. Do you ever have impulses like that, Jacob, or do you think? Oh, Barack Obama has a strong legacy. I think he has a strong legacy, but I have disagreements with how he went about certain things. I do think that it was a tactical error to go with, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act first and not uh, not make a larger stimulus and do the Employee Free Choice Act for unions, do some other things before tackling the third rail of politics, health care. So not that that wasn't important, not that the Affordable Care Act is not an incredible piece of legislation, but I just think some of the tactics, I think he, he uh, underestimated the Republican resistance. And, but there were resistance, I'm going to defend Obama, there would have yeah. been a resistance to all three things you just cited, or two, what were the two things you cited? The uh, larger stimulus and uh, Employee Free Choice Act, you know, uh, increasing uh, collective check. bargaining rights for, for unions. And, and on that note, mm-hmm. just to, to, as soon as the Republicans got back in power, Sure, it was on the state level, but what you saw is they went after the unions. First thing they did. Oh, my goodness. And so the fact that we didn't try to help them beforehand, uh, that's that's part of, that's an unfortunate part of Obama's what was it? Go back in history and help people out. The Employee Free Choice Act, what would that have done? That would have made it much easier. So currently, if you want to unionize your place of work, you have to uh, essentially... Uh, do it in public and uh, hold a public election uh, with that. And the process, it's, I can't go into all the details, but it allows for a lot of uh, coercion by the employer, you know, and a lot of scare tactics and things like that. Employee Free Choice Act would allow employees to do what's called card check, which is that each of them could sign a union card independently, not have the vote be public, and everyone on their own signs a card says, I want to be part of a union. Then you turn everything in, it's verified by the uh, you know, by the uh, the overseeing body, and if it's if it's uh, good, then you begin the process of uh, unionizing and 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 contract negotiations, things like that. It just makes it a lot easier yeah, to unionize without. Yeah, there's, but the point is, it would just stop the idea that anytime anybody in a place of work thinks about unionizing, oftentimes you know all sorts of stuff goes on well, to discourage them. I, so. and, and 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 this is where I'd like to bring up. So I, I was a union organizer at one time for United Food and Commercial Workers Union, and. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when you're a union organizer to see at how effective corporations now are in being able to not have a union. This is not just, even, even in the situation where you win, where the company should be having good faith negotiations with you, in practice, they're able to run out the clock. And even when you win, they can make you lose. And so I think that's something where people really aren't aware of. I was never aware of this, the difficulties that you have in trying to organize uh, unions until I was part of campaigns. And it almost seemed like an exercise in, it was a cha- it was a, such a challenge that sometimes it seemed like an exercise in futility because the deck was so stacked against you. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons, so myself and Jacob, one of the first things that, that we did in politics together was that we both worked for United Food and Commercial Workers. This kid worked at Jewel. I worked at Dominic's. Um, and so right? for me, mm-hmm. yeah. they would pull me out of the store because I spoke Polish. And they'd ask me, would you want to go and you know help us organize? And it was great. I Meatpacking plants, right? Meatpacking plants, thank you, yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was great. Um, so in my own life, I would actually have this kind of fork in the road because um, at the same time when I was kind of looking at like, hey, I should kind of get more involved with, with local politics here, there was an offer from my union, like, hey, dude, you're so good, you're passionate. Why don't you go uh, with organizing, uh, go across the country, uh, the anti-Walmart campaign mm-hmm. that was that was going to be going on. And there was an allure to that, you know, kind of listen to, to Bruce Springsteen, you know, kind of fight the good fight, you know, um, traveling the country. Um, and I didn't take that route. I ended up staying here. <laughs> that was before I met Jacob. Um, but instead, what we ended up doing in 2010 is that our union allowed us to be part of the AFL-CIO's effort against um, Mark Kirk. And it was for, uh, against Mark Kirk and Bill Brady. So we were working on behalf of Alexi Janulius as well as Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn in 2010. And so we would go and we actually got to meet a lot of really cool labor folks. And we were kind of outliers already because, you know, unfortunately you have where not met, not enough people that are benefit from labor know its benefits. And so whether it was where Jacob worked at Jewel or myself at Dominic's, we were both like, man, the union is great. Like, this is such a good thing. But a lot of people that were our age weren't aware of it. There's like, oh man, they take my, my, my dues out. But for example, <laughs> while I worked at Dominic's, you know, when you're talking about the retail industry, mm-hmm. for a long time, I didn't have to contribute anything for my health insurance, even though I was working part time. I mean, the benefits were just amazing. And so, it gave us an opportunity to talk to a lot of folks that were in labor, whether it was, uh, you know, the machinists and other unions kind of hearing how things used to be. Well, when you talk about uh, the difficulties of organizing, uh, forming a union, I believe, and I'm going to put this out here, you both of you are free to disagree with me, but I believe that so much of the rhetoric employed in this recent teacher strike, especially from the Chicago Tribune, is just anti-union. It's oh, yeah. more mm-hmm. of that Bruce Rauner stuff that yeah. they want to eradicate union. They always they hate the teachers union because the teachers union say what you will. They don't. They're not pussyfooting around. No. Stacey Davis Gates is just telling it like she sees it, and she comes on strong. And they're unabashedly for, they're like Bernie Sanders. And they're just unabashedly for these left of center uh, Democratic values that so many Democrats have. And they, they're not ashamed of them. Uh, they're not always successful. I think in many ways that the, the contract that they signed yesterday uh, didn't go as far as it, or didn't sign it. They they cut a deal. They didn't sign mm-hmm. it yet. Yeah, it has to be approved. Um, but it was put f- in writing. It was put <laughs> in writing. So, But they're like trying to force this city to recognize its own democratic values. We're the most democratic city in the country, one of the most, 85% in election after election, Jacob Kaplan, for whoever the Democratic nominee is, be it John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, Barack Hussein Obama, Whoever it is, yep. they're for that person. And so, but our city is run in so many ways, like it's been moderate Republicans or Romney. And part of the rhetoric, I believe, the anger of the Tribune toward the teachers is because their attitude is how dare that union try to tell us how we run this city. Yep. That's my opinion. What do you think? I agree. I don't. I don't think the Tribune's changed much in that position since Colonel McCormick's time. I mean, yeah. it's uh, they've always been an anti-union paper, and their editorial board uh, uh, plays that, that reflects that. So, uh, but I do I, I do agree with the fact that I mean, CTU is one of the few uh, unions in this day and age, especially public sector unions, that is just you know they're unabashed about fighting for their members, but also fighting for wider social justice issues for the entire city and community. And that's something that organized labor used to be on the forefront of. I mean, you go back to the uh, civil rights era, you know, the mm-hmm. UAW and uh, Walter Ruther was on the front lines of yeah. the uh, fight for civil rights among a lot of public sector unions and things like that. He went down and marched with sanitation workers in Memphis and other places. So I think this idea that it's not just about fighting for your own members, but also fighting in general for, for everybody and every one of the working class, I think CTU still embodies that notion mm-hmm. of labor. And uh, 
I think that's I think that's great, honestly. All right, now I couldn't agree more. All right, you uh, both of you, your uh, Jacob is the executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. Young Daniel uh, works for the treasurer. Whatever he says does not speak for. I do this little Vante when he comes on. Whatever he says does not represent the treasurer. All right, everybody's <laughs> it's Pogoshelsky's opinions. Uh, that said, here's the question for you. We we had uh, this fight was uh, between the Democratic Party, this teacher strike. Lori Lightfoot is a Democrat, the mayor of the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, Stacey Davis Gates, the leader of the Chicago Teachers Union, Jesse Sharkey. They're Democrats. At least Stacey is very much a Democrat. Uh, her brother, uh, Henry Davis, a good friend of this show, is a uh, councilman in South Bend, Indiana, and runs as a Democrat. So this is a fight among Democrats. So how does the Democratic Party deal with the, a union battle like this? Well, I mean, I think we... We always try to be good with uh, organized labor. We've always had a great relationship with CTU. I mean, last year we honored, uh, you know, Karen Lewis at our annual uh, uh, party fundraiser, gave her the uh, Ed Sedlowski Labor Award, named after Sue Sedlowski Garza's uh, father, who recently passed away. So we try to maintain a good relationship with organized labor, whether it's, you know, unions like CTU, whether it's the trades. So, I mean, we're in this position. Uh, you know, obviously everyone tried to get the uh, the party and. Chair Preckwinkle dragged into the fight because of the fact that, uh, you know, she was just in a mayor's race with Lori and they tried to make it, including some in the media, into this fight between the two and CTU was just angry because they didn't win the mayor's race. But at the end of the day, and this is what Tony said, it's like, you know, the teachers, you know, have, have a great case to make there. And uh, it's all about what's best for the city and, and CTU and the city need to come together and make a deal and put it in writing, honestly. And that's what they ended up doing. So I think, uh, you know, no matter what, the Democratic Party, we have to support organized labor at all levels, and that's what we've been doing, and that's what we'll continue to do. I, I would like to point out that it's not just a fight within the Democratic Party. There's two other fights that you really need to highlight. One, it's the fight of what does it mean to be a progressive? Is it a good government austerity type? Because when you look at the problems that we've had here in our city, in our state, I would make the argument it's been problems that have been exacerbated by austerity. Or does it mean in trying to give everyone a good, equal opportunity, right? That's something that we really need to find. Like, what do you mean by progressive? Do you mean that this means that you have this uh, political background, which is not in any way tied into any insiders or any of the establishment? Is that what makes it progressive? Or is it the economic policies? Because the way that I look at myself as a progressive means without a doubt, economics. And that's one of the things I have a lot of respect for Bernie Sanders for, for bringing that to the fore when in recent years you've had that pushed to the side. The second is an even more acute, even older debate, which goes back to how do you define a city? This is reflective of Jane Jacobs in New York City against Robert Moses, This was the, which came up here in Chicago with Rahm Emanuel, right? Do you define the city by its buildings, its built environment, or is it the people in it? And you know, this is something that we've had in looking at, do we care about our brothers and sisters who live in the city? Are they also Chicagoans? Or do you have this contemptuous view like, well, we gotta get all the poor out of the city limits. And you know, if they're down in Riverdale, we don't care about them because we've pushed them out and there's these beautiful new townhomes we've built in their stead. How do you see this this uh, this this conflict between that that, that Dan was alluding to between what uh, good government types and old old school Democrats? I mean, it, it's certainly there's the, that's the, been the conflict for uh, time, you know, forever. Uh, but I and that but that is also why I do think focusing on economic issues is important. Not to say that uh, issues of of you know, of rights and social justice, things like that aren't as well. But I do think economics is a social justice issue. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think that, uh, you know, this is one of the things like we were talking about Obama when we were saying that I think that, you know, if he had done a larger stimulus first, that's an economic issue. Or I think union rights are economic issues, honestly. And certainly healthcare is as well. But I think it's when you focus on the bread and butter issues and, and, and uh, you know, the economic, the financial side of things, that's that's uh, you know it cross it cuts across so many different lines and Democrats whether they're progressive or they're more of the old school you know whatever you want to call them type of Democrats I think everybody agrees on those issues for the most part so uh, the social issues I think everyone's evolved on those and the Democratic Party is continuing to evolve on those and there still are still disagreements on 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 some of that, those issues sure. 
but I think if we focus on economics, I mean, that's, 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 uh, that can unite a lot of us. And, and, and furthermore, I think it's really important that we as, as Democrats really, uh, take up those issues because the, I believe the weak underbelly of the Republican party is about people getting jobs. There's a lot of issues which resonate among the Republican base, but if there's one issue that I believe that Republicans, in other words, their base, not the elites, not the people that run the party, it's helping people get a job. That's one of the reasons why you had, you know, Tucker Carlson is not exactly a, a friend or someone who ha who shares our beliefs, but he was talking about some, some of the folks that he's friends with who are like, well, I'm either gonna vote for Trump or Bernie because it's rigged. And these are NRA <laughs> card-carrying conservatives, right? Uh, <clears throat> NRA, because, because, what a choice. People, well, but it's reflective of, of, of where we're at and why, as I said, economics is the soft underbelly for the Republican base. And that's one of the reasons why I believe you had the Tea Party um, with the Koch-funded AstroTurf, you know, uh, uh, groups that wanted to make sure that there was no new New Deal. Yeah. Because if that happened, you would have had it. I'd also like to remind folks that one part of... Um, part of uh, Steve Bannon's, right, program, mm -hmm. you know, before Donald Trump really went with the Republican establishment, was to have, you know, a New Deal type jobs program to try to solidify his own base of power because of the... the that got the thrown out the window it, real early, it, it, the it, infrastructure it, program. It did, but I just want to highlight that after decades of austerity from the right mm -hmm. and also from the left, you have had where people are desperate and people are hurting. I'll put it to you this way. Uh, young Peter Cunningham who was on this show and uh, Pete, and I, Pete, we, Pete and I represent two different factions of the Democratic Party. I'm much more of a Bernie guy and Pete is an insider. Uh, he worked for Rom. He's pals with Robbie. He always goes, Ben, I didn't actually work for him. All right, all right. Uh, but he worked for Daly. He worked for Arnie Duncan, et cetera. So he's definitely of the centrist type. Uh, and he was on this show. He's one of the few centrist types <laughs> who talks to me, but uh, love him dearly. Anyway, he was on the show, and he said in his humble opinion, this falls in line with what you were saying, young Daniel, he said in his humble opinion that had Donald Trump followed up with his talk of an infrastructure program, like and had really come through with that with billions of dollars allocated to every state in the union to start you know road repairs and viaduct repairs and train repairs and maybe train extensions and all the things that infrastructure programs would fund he would be unbeatable this oh, is peter cunningham's view I, unbeatable I, I agree. this next election yeah. But the first thing yeah. he abandoned, the first yes. thing Donald Trump abandoned, this is what a fraud he is, the first thing <laughs> he abandoned was the one thing that would help the poorer people who voted for him, the more lower income people. And by the way, I'm not quite sure to say that Donald Trump's base is, as so many Democrat strategists say, is like a working class base. I have to part see the it. numbers. It's part of it. Uh, well, it's part, but I would bet that if you take a look at the numbers, a majority of people who voted for Donald Trump Trump in the, uh, the 2016 election were wealthier. Uh, I would guarantee you that the majority of folks in West Virginia that voted for Donald Trump were not wealthier. We'll have to take that look. We'll have to take that. There are some wealthy people yeah, in West Virginia. Of course, course there are. Okay, but by and large, it's not a wealthy state. Well, or Kentucky, or you know, no. I, I I understand that. Uh, obviously, duh. That there or are Idaho. people, working people, who voted for Donald Trump uh, for because they hated Hillary Clinton, or they liked how politically incorrect he was. Or but they even loved if it's even let's show. say let's say it's a quarter of the Republican electorate. All right, there we go. Okay. Like, let, let's say it's a quarter of the Republican that's electorate. That's significant. Yeah. Right. That's that's significant. Where Democrats have a, a, a wide margin, a 20-point spread, right? 60 to 40. All right, so let's talk about this. What should the Democrats be doing right now, in your humble opinion? Investing in people. Investing in people. That's when Democrats win. And not try to be like, well, uh, okay, uh, so <laughs> subpoint three, section A. Yeah. Uh, so out of our committee, uh, we believe in social equality, when someone lives in a certain zip code and when they live in this zip code, we believe, no, you, you tune out. You need to have passion, you need to have belief, 
Um, this is one of the things that's made Republicans so effective. Um, I think that it would be great if we had more more Democrats who listen to the um, <clears throat> messaging abilities of, of people like Frank Luntz, right, who's done for the Republican side, right, uh, wonders in being able to coach Republicans in phrasing things in a way where people have accepted Republican policies, right, like the death tax and, and the like. We need to look at our own problems with messaging, which have led us to where we're at today. What do you think, Jacob? I agree. I mean, we're terrible at messaging. That's unfortunately been the case for Democrats forever. We're just not organized on it. We can't seem to, for whatever reason, formulate things uh, that uh, people can simply understand. I think Bernie's the best at it, honestly. He can put things together and make it simple and, and uh, stick to a message and things like that. But in general, Democrats aren't very good at that. And I, I do agree that it, we have to talk about what we're doing for regular everyday people and how we're going to make their lives better or we're not going to win. I, well, I, I'm gonna, that comes out of his passion, by the way. I, I was just going to say, I'm yeah. going to say this to Bernie Sanders. It's not just messaging, uh, Jacob, in my humble opinion. So he is. Bernie Sanders it, has been this Bernie Sanders from the get-go. He's never changed. He's never changed. His message hasn't changed. People believe in that message. And I think there's a sense of that the guy's the real deal. You may not like him, but he's not a phony. He's not saying one thing to one group, but a different thing to another group and uh, watering it down if he gets in front of wealthy donors. No, no, no. Bernie is Bernie. And I think that comes across. That's how I view him anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think he is himself. And, and I think that's one of the other things, you know, that too many politicians and people oftentimes on the Democratic side try to stick to this uh, very politically correct, not politically correct, but just trying to be too scripted, too kind of sterile and all that. And Bernie is just himself. And I think if you're yourself, no matter what you believe, I think people will, even if they don't agree with what you're saying, they'll at least believe what you believe what you're saying. And you know, authenticity, that's one of the reasons yeah. why parts of the electorate ended up, ended up on the Republican side end up voting for Donald Trump. You know, the, and, and to this the other day, Dennis and I were uh, listening to Jimmy Dore uh, take down uh, Bill Maher, right? Uh, Jimmy Dore is a left, far left to center uh, podcaster. And Bill Maher, of course, is uh, the comedian HBO with his own show. And uh, Bill Maher was chiding lefty Democrats saying, um, you're too far left. you got to you got to sort of sell your sell out a little bit and move to the center uh, to win an election. And because you have nowhere to go, you have to vote Democrat. Mara was saying that he was mocking lefty Democrats. And Jimmy Dore was saying, well, no, they could just not vote at all. I would flip it. Just nobody ever says this. Hey, centrist Democrats, you got to endorse Bernie Sanders if he's a nominee. Because you have nowhere to go. What are you going to vote for Donald Trump? You're going to vote for the womanizer? You're going to vote for the guy who destroys the environment? You're going to vote for the guy who lies and tries to extort uh, our allies? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, you have to vote for Bernie Sanders, but it's always the equation is on the other side. You get what I'm saying? Lefty, shut up, sell yourself out, move to the right and endorse the party's candidate. You never hear the equation on the other way. It does go both ways or it should. It should, but I yeah. never hear in, it go in both 2016, <laughs> it was the passion gap that led us partially that led us to the outcome where Donald Trump won. And that was because of the fact that we had said, hey, we don't need to talk about economic issues, right? Those were put to the side, right? And it was just pure old centrism. And by simply talking about that, we ended up losing. And so that has to be part of that argument. When you have people that are NRA conservatives who are like, well, I'm going to vote for either Bernie Sanders <laughs> or Donald Trump, that tells you that that paradigm yeah. that people were selling you, well, you know, that it's just a simple spectrum of left and right, that's not applying right now to our politics because of austerity. Now, uh, I saw this story. This is a recycled story uh, from 2016. And when, when I heard you say that, uh, it was, I can't remember which columnist wrote this, but uh, there was an article that came out in 2016, I think from Slate, that talked about the, uh, the op what do they call it? Oppo research. Yeah. You know, you guys, are, they've run campaigns. So every campaign uh, has an Oppo file, all mm -hmm. the dirt on the opposing uh, candidate. All right. And so some 
enterprising reporter did an oppo file on bernie sanders that you would see the republicans use and all like whacked out things that bernie did back in the day in the 70s were in the oppo file you know lefty stuff like cavorting with uh, uh, communists or whatever. I don't even know what's in the Apple file, but I assume that's along the lines. I am of the opinion now that that's just so old baby boomer. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's yeah. like fighting a fight from 1970. Nobody cares anymore. How, how did that Apple file on Donald Trump work out? Didn't matter, right? Didn't matter at all. all <laughs> so you had at the end at election day, the Clinton campaign was very successful in having Donald Trump being seen as someone who was crazy and irrational, right? People who came out of the voting booths, if I remember the exit polls, I think it was like 20% of, of folks that still voted for the guy felt like, yeah, he's nuts. He, he's, he's not all there and yet still voted for him. Mm -hmm. The wrong argument was made. And so will that oppo file matter if it didn't matter in the election of Donald Trump? I, you know, I, you got to wonder though, if, if Bernie is the nominee, will all Trump will do is say, this guy's a socialist, 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 communist, whatever, whatever. It'll be, it'll be nonstop. That's true. Uh, I don't know what effect that'll have. Well, I don't, you know, he'll do that no matter who the Democratic <laughs> course, nominee is. And, uh, like Obama, right? Obama. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I was just talking to Ken about that. Uh, Ken Mejia Beal, who's running the 42nd district. He's very moderate, uh, in uh, his rhetoric. Uh, he was just here on the show and he's running in a very conservative Republican, uh, held district in DuPage County. And he in no way sounds like me. Uh, he no way sounds like young Daniel over there. He sounds like your basic DuPage Democrat. And yet, if he's the nominee, they will turn him in to the second coming of me. Okay. Sure, of course. <laughs> and it's, so it's like... Yeah. But the way that we fight this rhetorically yeah. is by having our own um, like messaging tropes that we need to come up with. So, for example, one of the things that I am hopeful... You know what? I'm hopeful that someone listening to this will use this term free market fundamentalist, right? So we live in a world which has gone amok with people that are just, you know, fundamentalists and in, in the name of this or this are willing to harm other people. Mm -hmm. Free market fundamentalists, because that is in essence what these uh, uber libertarians who don't care about human suffering as long as we have free and efficient markets. Okay. And by, by using rhetorical flourishes like that, like, that's just another free market fundamentalist. You are able to effectively tag your opponent. So when it's like, well, you're a socialist. Well, you're a free market fundamentalist. It's a different kind of rhetorical debate than when you have someone who's just simply like, I'm not a socialist. You're a socialist. I'm not a socialist. No. And, and this gets back to when I was talking about us improving our messaging, right? We need to use um, rhetorical devices like free market fundamentalism to highlight how we are different than the Republicans and also the harm of their policies. All right, by the way, I would like to say one thing before we move on from this topic that uh, I took notes on something you said, Dan, Barry. I thought it was an astute point you made about good government types in the Democratic Party uh, versus economic uh, types in the Democratic, people who push for social programs. And one of the, my biggest, I wear two separate hats. I've been talking more and more about this. As a, a reporter in this town for years and years, uh, we were taught to analyze as objectively as you can the budgets that the people who run the city and this county and the state put out. And so I was taught that by the great John McDermott at the Chicago Reporter. And so when I, for years, I did TIF analysis about TIF deals and uh, analyzing them from the point of view of transparency and the point of view of playing by the good government rules. And guess what? All the good government types in this city, including the people who write the editorials for the Chicago Tribune, whenever a Democrat is endorsing some kind of like a, a union plan that would help somebody, a working person or a poor people, oh my God, they're suddenly the greatest bean counters in the world and good government and we have to be transparent. But they, when it comes to a TIF handout to a well-to-do person who is really their base, oh, this is 
economic development. We we're giving $2.3 billion and a lot of it TIF dollars to Amazon. Not one word from the Chicago Tribune's editorial board about how inefficient that was, how about how untransparent that was, how about how about we weren't even we weren't even allowed to see the documents, Jacob. We yeah. weren't allowed to see the documents because they had signed a, a consent agreement or something, a non-disclosure disclosure agreement. Somehow or other, mis these people, when they want to stand up to a union negotiating a deal that might help a poor person, you know, they're all of a sudden the bean counter. So I don't really believe the good government types in this town, Dan. I don't believe them. They, I hear it, you. I mean, this gets back to not just here in, in Chicago. Do you remember the kind of venom people had when Obama put in the cash for clunkers program, which once again was was not only good from an ecological perspective, but also gave a leg up. So that was where if you had cars that were of a certain age, they were, that they were, um, the government gave you, I think it was $700, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. And this was part of the Obama stimulus package, right? And people thought this like it was the worst thing in the world. And it was such a, a small little handout, but once again, it got back to upsetting class balance and, and helping out people that are poorer. Mm -hmm. Because when you have these, the same folks that had so much bile to attack this, they didn't care about the big handouts that were given as a result of tax reform. Yeah, no, it is by a double Obama. standard. That Not is Obama, a, by, by Trump. Yeah, it was a huge double standard. I saw it when Pat Quinn had, uh, at the end, he, that program, I forget what it was, uh, but it was like higher Illinois or whatever it was. And the, oh my goodness, did the Republicans go crazy over that. But man, giving $2.3 billion to old boy uh, Bezos, oh, that's economic development. A poor guy in the South yeah. Side gets a job at minimum wage. Oh, what a waste. What a sham, huh? Bezos, $2.3 billion. Ooh, economic so, yeah. development. What does it mean to be a progressive? Yeah. This gets back to that. Like, what does it mean to be president? Does it mean that, like, your background, well, I have never been part of the Democratic establishment, or at least been perceived as part of that Democratic establishment, right? Like, oh, well, we come from a long line of people that were always at odds with the party establishment. Is that what makes you progressive? Or is it about trying to help out the poorest among us? Well, I think the word progressive, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is essentially a reaction, a defensive reaction by Democrats who are shamed to drop drop using the word liberal. Absolutely. Ronald Reagan pounded the word liberal and but Democrats- That's why we need to pound. Well, Democrats well, got ashamed and embarrassed of the word liberal. Suddenly they weren't liberal anymore. They were calling themselves progressives. And uh, progressives in my book are just like you're saying, there's a magazine called The Progressive. So they're like, really like, you know, social Democrats. That's what a progressive is. Someone who is openly talking about divvying up the pie so it's more fairly allocated. I think that's how it should be, but so many, everyone calls himself a progressive now. I mean, the yeah. term is so overused among everybody. And I guarantee you, you ask practically every presidential candidate on the Democratic side, they'll all say they're a progressive. I mean, yeah. it doesn't mean anything anymore. Maybe, I mean, it's, you know, it's terminology, so we can argue over this forever. But I it, I just, to me, the word doesn't mean much anymore. It means, does anybody call himself a liberal anymore? We should go back to that, maybe. So, I don't know. <laughs> but then remember, in Europe, liberal means a libertarian, which also has its own, you know, you read The Economist magazine, and they'll be talking about what liberal values mean, and they mean something very different. But this also gets back to why we need to use those same devices. If Ronald Reagan is able to tag someone where where people that are on the left are ashamed of who they are, we need to go and find effective language that will do the same and make them feel that. Well, what is the effective language? Well, I, well, of course, I'm partial to it because it's, it's my creation, right? But free market fundamentalism, right? Have Republicans try to go away from, from that stereotype, which is true. You look at different sections of the country, economic policies, which devastate people and cause hurt, real hurt, people dying because of a fanaticism to having markets be as free as possible. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, to me, that's a sickness. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a fundamentalism where you're talking about really harming people, right? Because, well, you know, if the government <laughs> were to get involved and have a price control on insulin, you know, it sounds good, but it would really go in the market. And then you're like, but look at people. There are people that are paying $300 for a vial of insulin, which is even more insulting because the person that originally came up with it didn't want to profit off of it and gave it for free. And so if to you, the value of having a free and unfettered market is more than having a poor a middle-class person being able to have 
a little vial of insulin for less than $300. That is crazy. And that's the kind of point you have to hit home rhetorically with language like that. You got any suggestions, Jacob, on this front? <laughs> I think Dan has uh, pretty much nailed it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I yeah. would like to see Democrats get to the point uh, where you would see Republicans stop calling themselves conservative. Like they're embarrassed to call themselves conservatives. When I see, but they're Demo not even conservative. When I see Democrats rushing to call themselves progressives because they're ashamed to call themselves liberals, even when they're they fit the category, the classic category of a liberal. I mean, most of Lori Lightfoot's base, if you will, on North Side, that's a liberal classic base. Well, they're you know they're uh, liberal uh, on social issues. They believe in choice. Uh, they want more, a little more environmental control, but not too much that it you know interferes with their life. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, you know, they want some gun control, uh, but they are a little concerned about unions asserting too much authority. That's a classic liberal. They don't want a tough fight. You know what I mean? And, uh, so they, but they embarrassed to call themselves liberals. So they call themselves progressives. Even it's no meaning. We're going to, yeah. uh, take a break. We're <laughs> One little thing. Cause you'd mentioned you'd like Republicans to stop being, uh, concerned to, be afraid. be afraid. No, be, be afraid. ashamed of being conservative. But what's, what's conservative about being a reactionary to the point you want to get rid of the New Deal? That's extremely radical. And so there's nothing conservative about trying to dis, disembowel whatever social protections we have. All right, we're going to take a brief break, come back, talk a little Louis Arroyo and impeachment. We're right back with the political know-it-alls. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Well, there's also criticism, Stacey, that you guys did not emphasize special ed enough and quickly enough. That's a real big point, point of Absolutely contention. Absolutely it is. Look, Rom and Forrest Claypool destroyed special education to the point of where there is uh, a state mandated monitor um, figuring out special education. Um, and what we were able to do with this contract is uh, rebuild infrastructure, to be perfectly honest with you. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. Oh, Ben, Evanston. You love Evanston. Love Evanston. And uh, let's see, the evening classes are held on the in those campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. And you can learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. That's sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Political know-it-alls, Jacob Kaplan, Dan Post, Chelsea in the studio. We're going to switch to Louis Arroyo and close with impeachment. Before we do that, you got an update for me, D? Uh, just a few things here. First off, uh, Jacob Kaplan, our guest, he's a Whitney Young Dolphin, so we got to give a, give the Dolphin salute there. <laughs> All right. Nice. All right. Sorry, yeah. nice. All right. You're welcome. He was talking to me about it before the show. And also, Dan Pogoshelsky. Oh, yeah. Oh, as we oh, all know, yeah, if yeah. you're familiar with these two oh, fellas, Dan Pogoshelsky. When do I get to do a wedding on the air? Oh, my God. That'd on be the awesome. air. Yeah. There we go. That'd be incredible. A podcast wedding. All right. But Dan Pogoshelsky, he's an ordained minister. All right. And he always twists my arm before he comes on the show. Fine. I'll do it, Dan. I'll do it. Here we go. Looking to tie the knot with the one you love? Well, no one ties a knot better than Dan Pogoshelsky. Better than a Boy Scout. If you're looking to marry the one you love, there's only one question. Danny P., will you marry me? Dan Pogoshelsky, licensed ordained minister. There you go, buddy. <laughs> never gets old. He never gets old. Uh, <laughs> Only been doing that for two and a half years. And, uh, yeah. just By the way, up. Steve Lessman, I ran into him, and yeah. he told me to tell you hello. Tell Steve. Come on, can I give him a big hug? Stevie Lessman, the Steve the ad sounds. 
He's <laughs> <laughs> a, a dolphin hat. All right, now uh, Louis Arroyo, state representative Louis Arroyo, has uh, stepped down. Uh, he was from the Northwest side and Dave Feller already announced he's going to be yes. running. Dave Feller is a frequent guest in the show with part of the Northwest political know-it-alls, uh, the combination with Jamie Andrade. Yes. Those two guys, when they come in the studio, can I just tell you this? They, they're like always 10 minutes late. Why? Because they stop off at the snack room in the sun. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Potato chips. <laughs> there you go. And they come in here and then they open it. They drive that as nuts. Don't open the potato. Huh? <laughs> I love him dearly, but you yep, made yep. So, uh, um, yes, I just thought this was brilliant. We all know yesterday was Halloween uh -huh. and, uh, Mr. Feller got petition collection down to a science where children come up to the door, ring the doorbell. Of course they're with their parents. Kids get candy. The parent with the kid asked, do you perhaps live in the area? If yes, then you're asked to know, did you know that your state representative was just arrested? <laughs> and if so, or if not, would you care oh, to sign God. my petition to be on that ballot? That Everybody is just, signed. That's okay. so Chicago. Like, yeah. that's, oh, that's a shoot, true Chicago I mean, Halloween. the other part of that where he puts at the bottom. Uh, you guys got any uh, Reese's peanut butter cups? I love the <laughs> snack. <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> Feller loves Reese's peanut butter. Uh, right, he worked guys. for Obama for, for yes, almost a decade. Yes, he did. Uh, all right. Louis Arroyo, state representative, got arrested. Uh, apparently, he was uh, t taped by a state senator who's not been identified officially, as far as I know. I've, the, all, signs, all signs Link. point to Terry Link. All signs point to Terry Link. But he, for what, for the record, he denied it when the Tribune contacted sure. him. He I said, think he probably has to deny it right now if he's still cooperating with the feds. Yeah. Oh, I didn't thought of that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, why I think, that's why he's a know-it-all. That's why he's a know-it-all, and I'm a wannabe know-it-all. Uh, right, he's still denying it for the feds. By the so, way, do we know if Dr. D has a wire here? Uh, uh, we're all wired up We're here. all wired here. Yeah. On the yeah. Ben Jarofsky show. Yeah. Uh, so, Dr. D wearing a wire. Oh, my God. All the embarrassing things I've said to him for the last three years, if it ever came I out. I went a little cheaper than Royal. I'm getting 700 a month. Uh, Royal 25. 2500 uh, that's what was, what was no he was going to pay the other guy 2500 correct yep. yeah uh, and uh, the other dude was wearing the wire and maybe it was state senator link we'll see uh, mm -hmm. all all signs point to it uh, when is this ever going to end, young Jacob? I hope it ends because I think it, it it obviously makes everybody in politics look bad, and it's it's just it's ridiculous when people breach the public trust and do stuff like this just out of greed. And then yeah. they make everybody look bad because there are good people in politics. And it just, yeah. this is what fosters this attitude. It's like, throw out the bums. They're all corrupt. It's when stuff like this happens. So the idea that people still think they can get away with this trash in a time when everything's on tape and everything's, everyone's got a phone or, you know, everybody it's can record you. you. I just, I don't understand why people still do this stuff. It's just stupid, honestly. Yeah, I, I concur. I mean, you know, he, this is the embodiment of every single stereotype that people look at people that are involved in politics in a negative light. Their assumption is like, oh, well, if you're involved in politics, you're doing this and this and this. And for the vast majority of people, that is not the case. And then you have someone like this gentleman, and all of a sudden it's like, thanks for making us look badass. Yeah. Well, let me just say, and in particularly bad, and I'm going to speak from my heart, I've been a Democrat my whole life. I've said this many times. I cannot recall the last Republican I voted for. I think it may have been Alex Seath in 1970. No, Chuck Percy running against Alex Seath in 1978 before anybody in this room was born. <laughs> so that's how long I have to go back. But my Democratic Party is always looking bad in the Chicago area. There's just so much corruption. Uh, and you're right. Most the politicians don't. Don't do this stuff. shaking people down. But it's the, the, it makes everybody look bad, yeah. these cases, you know. So, uh, well, there's just a saying, you know, it's funny, Louis Arroyo, I was just going to reflect for a moment <laughs> just here. Louis Arroyo, he was on my old show. I think I'd said this before when he got uh, arrested and he was running against Tony Preckwinkle. I was reminding this, uh, Jacob for party chair for party chair after Joe Berrios, uh, stepped down and, uh, he was promising reform and this and that and the other <laughs> thing and blah, 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 et cetera, and so forth. And I'm thinking, well, he wasn't wearing the wire at the. T it was the other yeah. guy that was wearing yeah. the wire. But it just, I'm like, you dude, man. Yeah. You were shaking these people down and coming on the radio and going, I believe in reform, blah blah. Yep. Just more hypocrisy. More hypocrisy. So, <laughs> Ubi et mea. Oh, where's mine? Yeah. Yeah, man. From 
Mike Royko, man. Come on. Come you can't quiz this guy. I think he's not going to know that. Uh, that's <laughs> correct. <making> sure. <laughs> that's correct. All right. Uh, <laughs> and we'll conclude with impeachment, uh, which is, you know, an ongoing thing. The next time you come in here, we'll be talking about it obsessively. I've already been talking about it obsessively. With We had Jim Coogan, and we have a bonus with Jim Coogan on this, uh, Attorney Jim Coogan on this uh, subject. Monroe Anderson was in here, uh, T.B. Buchanan. Fractured House backs impeachment inquiry. I'll put this to you in, in partisan terms terms, uh, gentlemen. The vote was 232 to 196 in Congress to approve rules and oversight for the uh, uh, impeachment of pre- proceedings of Donald John Trump. And all Republicans, as in A-L-L, all Republicans voted against the impeachment inquiry. All but two Democrats, uh, two uh, swing district Democrats uh, voted uh, for the impeachment inquiry. So there's no nothing even remotely resembling a bipartisanship. The the accusations of Donald against Donald Trump for wrongdoing in shaking down the Ukrainian president are so real, and so many Republican types have come forth to uh, accuse him of this, and yet not one Republican would dare to vote for the impeachment proceedings. That'd be like all the Democrats standing up and saying, despite the evidence that Rob Blagojevich or his campaign was trying to shake down uh, the Obama campaign for that appointment. Or Luis uh, Arroyo. Or Luis Arroyo. Yeah, it seems as though corruption is a, a just a one-way street. Only the Democrats have to confront the reality of corruption. Republicans, they just say the prosecutors are corrupt. There's something wrong with the prosecution. That's it's why a witch we need hunt. to go in there with our phones and cameras during these top-secret depositions, right? Yeah. So how do you think this is going to play out? What's your early prediction? I, I mean, I... I I think it's terrible, honestly. I mean, there. I guess there, you can say there was one Republican who voted for him. He's no longer a Republican. He's an independent. Justin Amash. That just proves my point. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's it's ter- as we talk about again and again. The Republican Party has just thrown in their lot. They're like, we're all in with Trump. We don't care. We're just going to do whatever it takes to to try to save this guy's presidency because he's giving them what they want in terms of you know the judges, the judges, and and other things. So they don't care. They don't care about uh, the the the. Uh, you know, the importance of upholding the union and, and not interfering, not having foreign powers interfere in our election. Apparently they don't care. So it's, it's, we just have to go forward as Democrats and, and expose the facts and, and fight this fight and, and see what happens. But I mean, that's our duty at this point. I mean, I think it it would have been nice to have some Republicans vote for the impeachment inquiry. uh, But that's just the nature of the partisan, the extreme partisan uh, uh, world we're living in right now. And, uh, I unfortunately don't see that changing. Uh, there's going to be, I'm sure, more explosive testimony coming out and going forward due to this vote. I mean, a lot of this testimony is going to be in the open now. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be some incredibly explosive news days, crazier than we've seen so far. Oh, yeah. So maybe that'll make some of them have second thoughts, especially those that are in uh, you know districts that are iffy. Uh, but I don't know. Well, it's it's very depressing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm actually curious of is to see what happens if. Uh, Republicans end up coming to a point like uh, like uh, happened with Nixon, where they're like, "We're going to impeach you, so you better resign." I what happens? We, I, I I I I hear you, but what happens in that situation? Well, uh, the great Meredith Shiner, who was a guest in this uh, show a, a long time, a Washington D.C. correspondent, uh, she's moved into the private sector, but she predicted that time will come when Donald Trump will be so embarrassing. Uh, and so controversial that uh, Republicans running for re-election in swing states will turn to Mitch McConnell and say, I, I have to vote no, and that Mitch McConnell will uh, then turn against Trump, if only to hold on to his power in the Senate. That was her prediction. I have a hard time seeing it. Uh, I guess we're going to watch this one unfold, gentlemen, and we'll leave it there. Uh, young Daniel Pogoshelsky, Jacob Kaplan, the political know-it-alls, thank you so much. It's a, it's a blast talking politics with you. Once a month you come on the show. Uh, Ken Mejia Beal, he's running for state rep in the 42nd District, Jeannie Ives District. He's a Democrat running out there. And Rumana Hussein, uh, Rumana Rundown every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, back home as Daniel and Jacob. No, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you on Tuesday, everybody. Yeah.